left on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Fay, coming to you from the Arthur Blank Studios, talking to you about the NFL Draft, because it is finally here. Before we go on with today's podcast, I want to let you know that we had a little issue in recording, so that the sound quality is not what it normally is. We had an issue with my microphone that we did not catch until post-production, and it was too late to re-record the podcast. So as we go on and move forward, please pardon the unusually low sound quality. Hopefully we'll get it fixed for the next one. All right, on to today's podcast. If you're new to the show, follow us on any major social media platform, Facebook or Twitter. You can also email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com, and make sure to subscribe on whatever your podcasting platform of choice may be. So the Falcons essentially hold the key to the 2021 NFL Draft, as that number four pick is kind of the fulcrum That's going to swing the way the rest of the first round of the draft shakes out this Thursday. And nobody, and I mean nobody, really has a good grasp on what the Falcons plan to do. So as a fan, we all know that the Falcons' biggest needs are on the defensive side of the ball. They desperately need an edge rusher. They need help at corner. They need help at safety. Basically, the only position where the Falcons are pretty sought at is linebacker with Deion Jones, Foye Aluakon, and the youngster Michael Walker, all looking like pretty solid pieces that you can build around. So one of the things that we've been discussing, and Scott and I have been talking about, which player can the Falcons draft that would provide the best mixture of value and need? Because as you enter this draft, knowing that the Falcons need to rebuild their defense, of course, in the most Falcons way possible, we get a high pick in a year where the defensive side of the ball is lacking in elite high-end talents. So the number four pick is almost certainly going to be an offensive player, and the big question is, who do you take there? Following the number four pick, you would think the Falcons would focus heavily on defense, and we're going to come back and talk about some of the players they should be looking at and should target and even rank those players. But with that number four pick, but at that number four pick, who provides the best balance of talent and value? So Scott and I being the nerds that we are, um, made a little chart. We went through and assessed about 30 players based on the talent, their positional value based on what position they play, their fit within the Falcons based on scheme and position, and the overall value that that pick would present when you consider positional need and all the other factors that I just mentioned. What you find out is that When you sit there and really break it down and you look at numbers and you take out of it the emotion and the hype, it's pretty clear that the most valuable position that you can draft at the top four is a quarterback. The next most valuable position is probably either an offensive tackle or an elite wide receiver. We're talking about like Julio Jones level elite. So the question is, which of those should the Falcons target? Do you go with a quarterback like Justin Fields if he's available? Or do you go with Panay Sewell, who's considered one of the best left tackle prospects to come out in several years? Or do you go with a Jamar Trace, who would not be a knee considering the Falcons currently have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, and that Jones is really, really difficult to trade considering the salary cap hit you would take? And conversely, when you look at the value, you realize that probably the least valuable positions you could take that high in the draft 
our interior offensive line, which generally never happens. I mean, the last person to go that high was Quentin Nelson to the Colts, and he is literally the best guard in football. You know, that's very rare. Um, tight end, very, very little value in drafting tight end that high, and running back. So what did the Falcons do with that pick? It seems like the most obvious choice would be either to take the fourth best quarterback that's available at the number four pick or to take Kyle Pitts, who is probably the best tight end prospect that we've seen in recent memory. The last one I can remember coming out with this kind of hype was Vernon Davis, and he ended up being probably a Hall of Famer and playing for a very, very long time at a very high level. But here's the thing. If you take a quarterback at number four in this draft, you will be taking the fourth best quarterback in theory. Now, you could argue that if Justin Fields goes four, he's probably the second best quarterback. I've made that argument. I think he is a better prospect than Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and Zach Wilson. I think Justin Fields is an outstanding quarterback prospect. I think he's got a great chance of being successful in the NFL. But the point being that if you take a quarterback at number four, you're getting, in theory, your fourth pick at that position. Is that really valuable? Because you're not getting the fourth best player in this draft in most case, in, mo- in all likelihood. You're getting the fourth best player at that position. And the argument has been that if you don't take a quarterback this year with number four, you're missing on a chance to get elite talent. But truthfully, it's not really the case. You could be drafting at number 20 in most years and get the number four quarterback. So is Trey Lance really worth taking as the number four pick in the draft when in most years you could get a Trey Lance quality quarterback at 16 or 18 or even 24? Is that really that valuable of a pick? And I would argue that Kyle Pitts is a better tight end prospect than Trey Lance or Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. Kyle Pitts is probably the second best player in this draft behind Trevor Lawrence. This is the same argument I'd make for Panay Sewell. Panay Sewell is arguably the third best player in this draft behind Pitts and Lawrence, and he is a better tackle prospect than every quarterback that we could take except for Trevor Lawrence. So what do you do? Pitts is a sexy pick. He'd make an immediate splash, as you can see. Sewell is a smart pick, the one that actually makes the most sense when you consider talent, positional value, and need. Now, I know you're going to say, well, we just drafted Caleb McGarry in the first round two years ago, but but comparing Panay Sewell to Caleb McGarry is like apples and oranges. It's not even a fair fight. I mean, as they say on one of my favorite shows, The Draft Dudes, you never let a good player stop you from taking a great player. And I would argue that Caleb McGarry is just a passable NFL player. He's not even a good player. So there's no question there. And who knows, you can make McGarry your swing tackle. You can try to kick him inside the guard. Who knows? But the idea of adding Panay Sewell provides an immediate upgrade on your offensive line, without question. But here's the issue. If you don't take Panay Sewell, if you make the splashy pick and you take Kyle Pitts, and I think Kyle Pitts would be a home run as far as the returns he would give you from a production standpoint. But to justify this from a value standpoint, Cal Pitts basically has to provide the same kind of production as an elite level wide receiver. So we're talking about Travis Kelsey in his prime numbers. Like basically what he's doing right now, where Kelsey's getting between 80 and 100 catches and 1,100 yards every year. He's putting up wide receiver numbers. You basically need Pitts to do that within his first three years to justify that pick. Otherwise, you're better off just taking a wide receiver. Because remember, as good as tight ends are, Travis Kelsey's best years 
with our historic record-breaking years for tight ends, are 1,300 yards. Julio's average season is 1,400 yards. So it's really something to consider when you're talking about the value in taking Kyle Pitts that tight ends aren't as productive as wide receivers. And even if he is the best tight end in the history of the game, his best seasons will be just an average season for the best wide receivers in the game. So Sewell is the smart pick. Pitts or Fields is a sexy pick. If we pick Pitts, I won't be upset. I get it. If we pick Justin Fields, I think he's a great talent. But I think you're making the same mistake that the Green Bay Packers did in picking a guy that's going to sit in your bench for the next two years. And you're going to be paying him probably somewhere around $7 million to hold a clipboard and not play. That's not good value. And again, I don't know that you can get a Justin Fields level pick next year if we draft at 16 or 18 or even 14. But I think that it's a waste to take a good quarterback prospect when you could get an elite level prospect that will impact your team on the field immediately this year. That's my two cents. I would say the pick is either Panay Sewell or Kyle Pitts. And again, either way, you're getting a player in one of those two that can immediately impact the winning on the field this year. Now, that's assuming that the Falcons stay put at number four. If they choose to trade down and or are able to trade down, you have a world of other possibilities. Other positions that provide a really high value in the first round are cornerback, interior offensive line, if you can take it a little bit later on, and edge. Safeties do not provide great first round value and neither do running backs. So looking at what the Falcons need, They need an outside corner that is ready to play immediately. So looking at Dean Pease's scheme in the little bit that I've gotten to watch of his stuff with his Titans and some of the stuff he did with the Ravens, he seems to like to play a lot of cover to man, meaning that the corners play man with two safeties playing on the hashes behind them. Safeties that can play split field coverages and can get to the ball. So you need corners that are reliable tacklers and are decent man. You need safeties that are rangy, have great coverage abilities, and can go get the ball. Basically the exact opposite of what Keanu Neal was, the exact prototype of what someone like a DeMonte Casey was. Going to the line of scrimmage, the Falcons need to find a versatile 3-4 edge player, one that can put their hand on the ground and play in a nine technique, and one that can also line up outside and drop into coverage. So That's the defense side of the ball. On the offensive side of the ball, the Falcons need a receiving running back after letting Ito Smith walk, and they cut him uh, this past week. So they now need a running back that can catch the ball out of the backfield to pair with Mike Davis, who's your power runner. The other thing they could use in the offensive side of the ball is an elite tackle prospect, like we mentioned in Panay Sewell, or a really high-level interior offensive line prospect that can play, preferably guard, if you trade back. So... Who are the best options at these positions? Starting with probably the Falcons' biggest need, which is edge rusher. None of these players would be good fits at the number four pick, but if you're able to trade back, my first choice would be Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia, who is a little bit on the small side, but he measured with long arms. He has got the versatility to play with his hand on the ground, which he did at Georgia. Go back and watch his highlights from the Alabama game, where he's lined up with his hand on the ground at defensive end, stoning, pulling guards to Alabama so that his inside linebackers can make clean tackles. 
and then watch him at the end of the game against Cincinnati when we need when we need to stop and the game is on the line, come off this edge with pure gas and get a sack to seal that game. He is a very, very complete football player. He's not quite as toolsy as some of the people like Jalen Phillips, who people love, but he is probably the best pure football player out of all the edge players in this draft. And he's going to have a long and successful NFL career, even if it's not necessarily a Pro Bowl level career. After Ojolari, I think Jalen Phillips would also be a good pick for the Falcons. The biggest thing about Phillips, he's got physical tools and he plays hard. This kid's motor is incredible. I don't know how good of a fit he is as a 3-4 outside linebacker. A lot of people think because he's such a good athlete, that's an adjustment he can make. But he was a pretty prototypical 4-3 outside rush end, and he was good at it. I think he's got a lot of potential and upside, and I think he'd be a great pick if you make it back into the teens and trade back to that, that area. Another one is Joe Tryon, who's a versatile athletic defensive end out of Washington. Picture Jalen Phillips with a little bit less juice. He's got a big 6'5 frame. He's a he's a good pass rusher. He plays the run, too. I think he'd be a good fit. And then another player whom I'm really falling in love with is Joseph Asai from Texas. He's kind of Aziz Ojolari-like, can do a little bit of everything. I think he'd be a great fit maybe at the top of the second round. And then also later on in the second round, even the third round, you could get Ronnie Perkins or Rashad Weaver, two other 3-4 defensive end slash edge players out of Oklahoma and Pitt. So that's the edge class. And then moving further back out to cornerback, which we know is also a big need. We are still probably going to need to find a starting corner pair with A.J. Terrell, who I think is going to be really good for the Falcons. The best corner on this board to me is Caleb Farley. I've been banging that drum now for about two months. I think he's the best corner in this draft. I know that the back surgery and him opting out and not playing a lot of cornerback in his career is a concern. He's only played cornerback for two years. He was a receiver and a quarterback before that. But, man, he is a lockdown man corner. He's got six foot two frame, four three speed, great ball production. He's good in man. I think he's the best corner in this draft. And if Falcons can trade back to the 8 to 12 range, I think he's a great pick there, as would be Patrick Sertan. And Sertan, I think, is a good pick. I don't think he's got quite as high of a ceiling as Caleb Farley, but I think he's a much safer pick. I think Sertan, at worst, is a really good CB2 for his entire career, but I don't think you're getting the next Richard Sherman, Champ Bailey-type corner, uh, Darrell Revis. I don't think that's what he is. I think he could be, though, a really, really good starting corner for a long time. Uh, Moving back into, like, your second-tier cornerbacks, uh, Greg Newsom is someone that's kind of been a late revelation to me. I'd heard about him and studied him, and he reminds me a lot of Denzel Ward. Uh, He's got just unbelievable feet and explosiveness. He has just been injured a lot, and he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time. But, man, he is super talented. And then you have Eric Stokes for Georgia, who I think is a great pick with his 4-2 speed. He's long. He measured with 32-inch arms, and he measured in 194 pounds, which is a lot bigger than people thought he was going to measure. And I think he's a great fit for a man scheme. I think he's going to have to refine some of the stuff with the technique because he can be very handy, but I think he's a good choice. My boomer bust prospect is Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky. He's a wild card. He's had some off-field issues, but the dude is just insanely talented. If you go watch the cut-ups of him versus Alabama, you'd be saying, how is this kid not a first-round pick? 
He's been up and down. He's gotten in trouble at Kentucky and at LSU. He transferred, had a weird situation where he transferred out of LSU. I don't know that I would take him much above 60 or so, but he's really a first-round-ish talent with the frame and athleticism to be really good, and, man, he gets his hands on the ball a lot. And then a couple guys that you could look at that could be developmental guys that could develop into good starters are Tay Gowan from UCF and Paulson Adebo from Stanford. Uh, guys, good tools, although I think Adebo has a lot to make up for in the technique department. And then moving over to safety, um, the number one safety in this draft is Trevon Merrick, and it's not even close. He's the best safety by a lot. He's great ball production, great size, good athleticism. My second safety for what the Falcons want to do is Richie Grant. Um, a lot of people have Jamar Johnson from Indiana as the second best safety. He is big, strong, athletic, great ball production. I think Grant is a little less good at the ball production, but a lot better tackler. And Grant is a really, really good fit for cover two, which is what the Falcons are going to run a lot of. Um, and then the last one, and I've mentioned this guy before, it's Andre Sisco, who is a boom or, bu- a boom or bust prospect. I call him the Thomas Deku of this draft. Um, if you're a Falcons fan and you remember Thomas Deku, Thomas Deku, the kind of guy that have a game where he'd get two picks or give up three touchdowns. Uh, Cisco's like that. He just gets a lot of interceptions. He's great in split foot coverages, but he's coming off a torn ACL and he's not very disciplined. So he's one that's going to get you five picks, but he's going to give up some big plays too. So those are four safeties that I like that I think are really good fits. And you might notice that I didn't mention some prospects that are really high on other people's boards. For example, um, Asante Samuel and J.C. Horn. I really like Asante Samuel as a prospect. I think he is primarily a cover two corner. That's where I see his best fit at. Um, J.C. Horn is someone who I think is an absolute dog. Athletic. He is competitive. But he is super handsy. He's not disciplined with his technique he had like five pass interference penalties i believe it was this past season and i just worry that he is going to get flagged a lot in the nfl another one is ifiatu melifanu from syracuse again good player i think he fits better in the old dan quinn scheme as a long-limbed cover three corner and then sean wade who's someone who i don't see as a top 60 player i think he was very very overrated I watched four or five games from this year and watched him get beat a lot. So he would not be very high on my board, but I know some people like him. As for the safeties, I did not have Javon Hall on my list because I think he is actually going to end up being a slot corner in the NFL, as do a lot of people, which is not really what the Falcons are looking for. And then Hobson is Cyril Ledeen from Florida State. He is a classic cover three box safety who would have fit great in the old Dan Quinn scheme playing the Keanu Neil role, but I don't think he's as good of a fit in the Falcons' new scheme. And then moving on to the edges, you notice I did not mention Gregory Rousseau. Do not like him as a prospect. He got a lot of his sacks actually lining up on the interior and rushing from defense tackle, which is not what the Falcons are really going to be doing in a 3-4. I just think that he is a project that could be really good because of his production his tools, but I'm not sold on him. And then another one that I'm probably going to get yelled at for is Quiddy Pay. And I am a very, very big Michigan fan, and I always have been. But when you watch Pay, he's just got this unbelievable motor, such un- just unreal power and twitch, and zero pass rush moves. He basically bull rushes to the quarterback, and because he's just so powerful and sudden, he's good at it, and he's relentless. I just don't see a polished pass rusher, and I think that he's one of those guys that could take a few years 
to actually become what people think he is, which is probably going to be the first pass rusher off the board in the teens. Another one is Jason Owe for Penn State. He's in one of those really toolsy six foot five ish athletic guys who I am absolutely opposed to drafting because he did not actually record a sack in 2020. So, yeah. <laughs> and so when I say these guys are not on my list, I'm not saying that any of these guys will not be successful players. I simply am saying that they go in the not for me bin. They could be good, but they are not players that I'm going to put on my board because I think there are people that could be better fits. Flipping over to the offensive side of the ball, the Falcons need a receiving running back after cutting loose Edo Smith. So in order of the guys that I think are the best fit, Travis Etienne, who would be a great lightning to Mike Davis' thunder because Etienne has the home run hitting ability. Uh, Najee Harris, who is actually a better receiver in my opinion than Etienne, but his skill set running the ball is a little redundant with Mike Davis. And Etienne, who I do not think has the best vision, I think he takes a very interesting pass through the holes and to get to uh, the second level. But he is a home run hitter. He's got great speed running in this outside zone scheme, fits his abilities really well. I, like I said, I think Harris is actually a little bit more Paul Schieber, and I love Javante Williams. I think Javante Williams is actually the best pure runner out of all the running backs in this draft. If you just isolate his running ability, his, his ability to see holes, he runs with incredible power. He has unbelievable vision, and he's got great burst through the hole. Doesn't have the best long speed. He doesn't have ETN's long speed, but he's still at 4.55, which is plenty fast to run away from people. And I think he would be a really, really good pick um, in the second round. Although, again, I'm not sure how well he fits with Mike Davis because he is a good receiver. He has soft hands, but he's not quite as polished in his route running as ETN or Harris. And then someone who I was lower on but I think would be a great fit now is Kenneth Gainwell who's kind of one of those running back receiver slash hybrids that Memphis likes to use, very similar to Antonio Gibson, who Washington took last year, who was primarily a receiver that they converted to a running back because he played some of it at Memphis. Gainwell is one of those type of players, and I think he would be a great fit in that role as like a slot slash third down receiving running back, and he does have some ability to run the ball. One thing about Gainwell is he didn't play this past year. He doesn't have a lot of reps, and he is not very big. He's probably – Somewhere in the 190-195 pound range. And I'm sure he's bulked up since then, but that's was, that was his last listed weight. Also, another a third down scat back type that I like is Khalil Herbert. I actually like him a little bit more than Michael Carter from UNC. And Herbert coming out of uh, Virginia Tech. He's got big playability. If you watch his highlights on YouTube, it's a whole bunch of 70-yard runs, which is great to see. He catches the ball well, good in the screen game. Carter, I like. He's small, bursty. Don't think he's got quite the long speed you would like in a back his size, but he is a good prospect. And then if you want to go with another big pounding running back, Trey Sermon's a guy that I really like, although, again, he would totally overlap with Mike Davis as far as skill set, and he's not a very accomplished receiver. And then a wild card pick for me is Puka Williams out of Kansas. He's not very big, but he is a great receiver, and he's very explosive. And I'll also throw in there just as one more wild card, Chuba Hubbard out of Oklahoma State who is a great fit for the outside zone running scheme, although he's not a very accomplished receiver. And he's not very good at breaking tackles, but he can run very fast in a straight line. And Tevin Coleman made a pretty good NFL career out of doing that exact thing coming out of Indiana a few years ago for the Falcons. So those are a few picks. As for offensive line, which is probably the biggest position of need on the offensive side of the ball, 
Obviously, if you can go, if you take Panay Sewell at first, that's a great pick. Or if you choose to trade back and you can get your hands on Rashawn Slater, who I think could be like an elite right tackle, or a lot of people think he could kick inside to play guard. Either way, he's an instant upgrade to what you have in the offensive line, whether you play him at left guard or right tackle. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC is one that you could take a little bit later on in the first round. He'd be an instant upgrade at the interior offensive line, probably playing guard for us. And then moving into the second round, Creed Humphrey is someone that could probably slide over and play guard playing center for Oklahoma. And then maybe even later on, if you can pick up an extra pick in the second round, someone like Landon Dickerson who could play center while you leave Matt Hennessy over at guard with Dickerson being a very, very good prospect out of Alabama. So that's the board. And if the Falcons want to avoid absolutely jacking up the 2021 draft, they need to draft with their heads and not with their hearts. As much as I would love to see Justin Fields come home and be a great winning quarterback here for a lot of years, I don't know that that's the best move for the Falcons right now. As much as I would like to see Kyle Pitts come in and light up Mercedes-Benz Stadium with an 80-catch, 1,000-yard rookie season, I don't know if that's the best value for that pick. And I hate myself for saying this because I know I sound like a big fuddy-duddy. But to this point, we have no reason to distrust the new brain trust of Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith. So in them we trust, and we will wait to see what they come up with and what they choose to do. And I pray they make the right decisions and think big picture. Don't get caught up in sentiment. Don't get caught up in the outside influences. And do the right things so that our Falcons can rise up again in 2021. So this has been Dave Bethay for the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.